0: All right, anybody fired up today? Holy moly, we're in church, right? I think uh, we have had an incredible morning so far, and uh, we're about to have an incredible message this morning uh, that's going to be brought to you by a very special guest today. I'm going to invite him up right now and then tell you about him and make him stand here while I talk about him, all right? That's really one of those awkward moments. But I'm going to do that because I love this guy so much. And I don't get a chance to like mess him up like he messes me up all the time. So this is one of, uh, you guys have heard Kristen and I talk about how we love to get away. We like to go to Colorado. This is my Colorado friend. This is Spencer Nickel. Uh, I met Spence uh, right around the time I was born, maybe a few years after that, because my dad used to go out to Colorado hunting and had a connection with Spence's dad and also played a role in Spence's dad's salvation. Uh, So I knew Spence growing up, I've seen transitions in his life, but I'll tell you, uh, in my circles now, my pastor circles, and what I do is a life calling, I would not stay in this role, I would already be gassed out and done if it wasn't for Spence Nickel. Spence uh, Spence is a mentor, he's a life coach, he and his wife, we love them dearly, we love their family. Uh, Spence has coached pastors all, around, all across America, all across the globe. Uh, he, gets, he gets sent uh, by Samaritan's Purse, one of the largest uh, nonprofit relief organizations on the planet. He gets sent by uh, them to go coach up missionaries, to encourage them, to keep them in the game. Uh, Spence has an incredible ministry in Colorado. Uh, it's called Big Horn Ministries, where he uh, does hunts of a lifetime for, for kids who are on their last breath. Uh, He does a lot of unique things out there, but I love him because he's my friend. And um, so today, Spence is in town, and uh, he's our guest speaker, and God's going to use him today. He's used him all morning long. We love him, and uh, I consider him like a brother. And so I want you to honor uh, what God's doing in his life by giving him a huge My Church big warm welcome. All right, don't push me off the stage.
1: Y'all know there's a timer right there. You got 35 minutes. I'm like, dude, you just took two of them. We love this family. I know you guys do too. The Murphys are very, very uh, dear to us. And Jeff's family uh, are some of the first witnesses for Christ that God put in my life uh, over four decades ago. Um, So I have known Jeff since he was... Much younger than J.D. By the way, you want to know what Jeff was like at that age? Look at J.D. (laughs) Apple doesn't fall far from the tree, does it? Um, We we just love this family. His parents are dear to me, his sisters and their families. and uh, So we're fortunate enough to finally have come down here to to visit you all. We follow what's going on at my church. Um, We get the emails just like you guys do. We just love to hear what's going on, so it's awesome to finally get to visit uh, and see some of the faces that go with what we read. So anyway, thank you for welcoming us. Uh, my wife Annette is here, uh, sitting up here between Christy and Jeff, and um, our daughter Kate just said, once is enough, I've heard this sermon, that's enough, I'm going to leave with Ashley. So they went to have fun somewhere, or they're out there eating donuts or something, I don't know. Um, we live in a very tiny town in Colorado, forty people um, my My parents moved there when I was six years old from another small town and bought a guest ranch called bighorn guest ranch and uh, that's Our ministry now is named after that place, Bighorn Ministries it has nothing to, to do with horns. just my dad loved bighorn sheep and so <laughs> That's how it got its name, and we didn't have anything to do with the name that, but uh, Bighorn Ministries is, is really an excuse for us to get to do what we want to do. Um, we worked for many years with Campus Crusade for Christ all over the world, Mongolia, Siberia. No, we didn't do anything wrong to get sent to those places. That's not where they send. They're just they're like, gosh, you guys can't make it anywhere else. Go to Siberia. Um, we actually chose those places. Uh, we figured they were going to be some of the last places people, others might want to go. Uh, some of the hardest to go to. So we decided, you know what? We live in Gunnison, Colorado, which is the smallest or the coldest place in the continental United States. And um, we're probably prepared for that as much as anybody. So we'll go there. Um, and it, it was it's, it was awesome. But... Uh, I came to know Christ uh, at the age of 20, almost 23, Um, and before that, uh, God put many witnesses in our lives, the Murphy family being one, some of the friends they brought with them. Um, And when I was in high school, my mom gave her life to Christ. She was the first one in our family. And uh, a couple years later, I quit college. I went to this uh, small four-year school in Gunnison, Colorado called Western State College. Um, and their motto was, it was a ski, t- ski part of, of Colorado with there's ski areas. So all these students come up there to party and ski. And their motto is Ski Wasted State, that's their nickname, Wasted State. Ski Wasted State, get a degree in your spare time. And uh, I took that to heart, somehow packed four years into eight years, and I finally got a degree after eight years. But along the way, I, I took some time out, went to Alaska, and I lived in Alaska for two years. And before I left Colorado to move to Alaska, Colorado wasn't cold enough, so I moved to Alaska. But my mom gave me a Bible, and in the front cover of the Bible, she wrote, I pray that you will make this part of your everyday life, Spencer. Because the answer to every situation lies within these pages. Um, and after uh, one year in Alaska and getting in trouble and drinking a lot and dabbling in drugs, and I ended up spending time in the Rebar Motel. Um, that's jail for those who don't know what it is. Um, spending a little time in jail, um, I moved to the bush of Alaska. And when I mean the bush, that means the middle of the wilderness somewhere. You fly in on a float plane and get dropped off at a cabin. And a good buddy and I and a dog lived there for nine months. And uh, that's, believe it or not, was my dream. (laughs) Many people go, what? Sounds like hell. Uh, That was my dream growing up, to go hunt and trap and fish in Alaska. And after nine months of that, uh, moved back to Colorado. I weighed about a buck thirty. I had hair down to here and a beard down to here before it was popular with Duck Dynasty. And uh, my brother looked at me and just said, you look like a cross between Pee Wee Herman and Charles Manson. (laughs) Um, So you can envision that. That'd be good for Trunk or Treat, wouldn't it? And, uh, but during those nine months, uh, when the whiskey ran out, which we took cases of whiskey, when the whiskey ran out, um, and it set in where we were, what we were doing, where we lived, a uh, couple thoughts hit me. One, uh, one thought was, if I die, no one will even know I'm gone, other than my buddy. My family won't know for months. Uh, that's how remote we were. There's no way to get, There's no communication out. We got one AM radio station, that was it. That was our news with the outside world. The other thought that hit me was, I want to do this my whole life and it's not changing my life. There was still a huge emptiness and it just made me angry. This was something I wanted my whole life and I didn't have a contentment or a joy with it. The only person I knew that was truly content was my mom. And she had the most boring life in the world and here i was living my dream and didn't have that um and it just angered me for a couple months um that and the whiskey was gone um and then i picked up the bible that she gave me and started reading and i got to john chapter 3 and god said you're nothing i love you but you're nothing you've never given your life to me you've never experienced my forgiveness You're just living for yourself. Um, I knew that. I had no problem knowing I was a sinner. Uh, But just how deeply selfish I'd become. Um, And my first taste of forgiveness began to emerge. Um, As I read the Gospel of John, and my mom's prayers followed me, Um, my first real sincere prayer was, God, I want what my mom has with you. That literally was my sinner's prayer. I want what my mom has with you. I know it's real. I've never experienced that. I never grew up going to church. We went to church on the big four. Christmas, Easter, weddings, funerals. That was it. Um, I'd heard the gospel a couple times. I'd seen the gospel lived out in some people's lives. But it wasn't until that moment in Alaska and this bush on the Alaskan Peninsula, about halfway out towards the Aleutian Islands, that I finally said yes to Jesus and rsvp to the invitation he gave me to f- forgiveness. That um, was my first real taste of forgiveness and freedom from, from bitterness, freedom from anger, freedom and forgiveness, which is what we're going to talk about more today. Let's pray real quick and um, we'll continue this theme of forgiveness, okay? Take five seconds on your own right now and just ask God to speak to you. Oh Lord, we trust you will speak to each one of us today. Holy Spirit, help us to be tuned to your frequency. Give us ears to hear. We know what you need to say to us is is critical. The words I have don't mean much, but what you need to say to us is is important. I pray the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together would be pleasing to you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Forgiveness. Someone once wrote, life is an adventure in forgiveness. Forgiveness. Giving and receiving forgiveness permeates every relationship one way or another. Either the forgiveness aspect, which is the most powerful relational force on earth, I believe, or unforgiveness, probably the most damaging thing we can experience in a relationship. In Matthew chapter 18, we find Jesus teaching on forgiveness. Forgiveness. Um, it's on the back of your uh, worship guide here, Matthew eighteen twenty-one to 35. We're just going to read through the whole thing. So if you want to read along with me or just listen, that's fine. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. That's a tough one, isn't it? This is how your heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. A couple things you have to understand about that passage first. Peter... Peter offers seven times. He says, how many times should I forgive? Seven times? Rabbis taught that that you needed to forgive someone three times. So that's kind of the ante, right, in the poker game. Three times. So Peter's offer is pretty generous. He raises it up to seven times, you know, double it and add one. Right? So it's actually a pretty generous offer. Then Jesus just goes all in with this story and goes, no. No, not seven times. Seventy. And literally it means 70 times seven. 490. Or, in other words, there's no limit. Okay? That's what Jesus is saying. Um, Another important part that is, is... not lost with bags of gold and silver coins, but the bags of gold, literally, talents, it's a huge amount of gold that, that the debt of the first servant's forgiven. You're talking about millions and millions and millions of dollars, the equivalent, versus about three months' wages. Okay? So that's the difference. This guy's forgiven millions and millions and millions of dollars. I don't know why he's borrowing that much money in the first place. (laughs) Kind of makes you think. But then over here is a guy who owes him two or three months wages. Okay? Two or three months salary. He can't forget that. He can't forgive that one. He gets forgiven this much. Okay? Important part of that story. Um, The lesson's pretty obvious though, isn't it? Right? It's not rocket science. Jesus is saying, forgive, right? Forgive others. Forgive your brothers and sisters. Or you're not going to experience God's forgiveness. Not fully. Paul summed it up really nicely for us. Colossians 3.13. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. That's it, right? Pretty simple, right? Let's pray. Go home. Living it, knowing it, and living it's two different things, isn't it? How do you do that? That's what I want to talk about today. Because for us to live and forgive the way Jesus did, we need to understand what that forgiveness was like. What's Jesus' forgiveness like? Is it complete? How much is he forgiven? 60, 70, 80%, 90%? 100%, right? Jesus forgives every single one of our sins. 100%. There's nothing that you can do that he won't forgive. You know that? That's how Jesus forgives. So we, in turn, should forgive the same way. Ooh, that may be tough, huh? That may be harder. There's no relapse, there's no forgetting, there's, forgiveness is complete, it's, it's total with Christ. And that's how he calls us to forgive others. Um, but like I said, knowing it and doing it is two different things, right? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but how many of you struggle with forgiving somebody? Amen. Annette and I, as Jeff mentioned, we, we served uh, for many years with Campus Crusade for Christ, different parts of the world, Mongolia and Siberia. So we, we were a part of many different mission teams over the years. And we began to see that there are many uh, missionaries that have to leave their field where they're serving and come home. And the number one reason, it's not health, it's not cross-cultural Uh, stress, trying to learn a new language, Um, the, the economic difference they have to live with. The number one reason missionaries have to come home is they can't get along with a teammate. And you know what's usually the missing ingredient we found? Forgiveness. The very thing they're there to proclaim, they can't live. That's called trying to pass on unlived truths. You know it? The very thing they're there to, to, to preach, to proclaim, forgiveness of God. They can't live out on a team. Um, I was asked to share this, share some thoughts about this with a number of mission teams in Eastern, from Eastern Europe and Russia. Um, and so I was given this, this passage he said, would you, would you do a message on this passage? And I'm thinking, yeah, well, you know, preach a message like Jeff preaches. You've got to have some good illustrations. So, Lord, I really need a good illustration for this. Be careful what you pray for, right? A couple days before we were leaving our home in Russia to go to this conference in, in Hungary, I was driving. We'd lived in Russia for a couple of years at that point. And I was driving in the city we lived in, Irkutsk. Um, If you've ever played Risk, it's on the Risk board. It's how you attack Alaska or Mongolia from Irkutsk. That's the city we lived in. I'm driving around Irkutsk, and I had prayed a day or two before that, Lord, would you give me a good illustration about this passage of the unmerciful servant and forgiveness? I pull up to a stoplight It's at night. It's red, there's one lane, I want to go straight across the traffic. Um, cars start piling up behind me, they all have their blinker on to turn right. Well, it's red, I can't go. So I'm holding up all this traffic, Russian road rage begins to set in. They start honking, and I'm like, what do you want me to do? I can't go anywhere, and finally, finally... Um, it, it's not turning, and everybody's honking, so I just panic. And I'm like, eh, eh, when there's no traffic coming either, either way, I just punch it and go across the intersection. As soon as I do, there's a cop sitting right there I hadn't seen. <laughs> and in Russia, they pull you over with a baton, wave, wave their little baton, and uh, I pull over immediately. Usually in Russia, they want to they, wanna find, they find you on the spot. And uh, it's either it's usually a forty ruble fine for something like that. Forty rubles uh, back then was about a buck, forty buck fifty. So not a huge deterrent, but still, yeah, I'm trying to obey the law. But I'm, I'm expecting him to say, you know, it's a forty ruble fine unless you don't need a receipt or the ticket. In that case, it's only thirty rubles. Well, that means he's just going to pocket the 30 rubles. But I was, unfortunately, paid a few fines at that point. So I got, I understood that much. Well, my Russian wasn't great. I roll down the window. This cop lays into me. I mean, he just starts yelling at me. He's just giving me a tongue lashing. Well, a tongue lashing only works if the person understands you, right? So... I, you know, I let him go, blow off his steam, and then I finally just go. You know, uh, forgive me. I'm I'm a foreigner. I don't speak good Russian. I don't understand what you said. <sighs> deflated. Um, I'm expecting him to say, you know, you gotta pay forty ruble straf, which is fine. And I'm like, he doesn't say it. He goes, never mind. He's just he's just deflated. And he goes, never mind. Just go. All's forgiven. Okay, thanks. Roll up the window, start on my way. I go about two hundred yards, the guy pulls out in front of me, and I just go, Hey, in English, you know, which didn't do him any good, but it hit me right then. Boom. You want an illustration? There you go. I'm the unmerciful servant. I am. I I I can't even extend the same forgiveness a cop just gave me to some stranger in a, in a traffic incident. I know no one's ever done that here. That stuff never happens in Georgia, especially Atlanta traffic. Boom! I had my I had my illustration. One hundred and forty-two times in the Bible mentions. The word forgiveness. You think God takes forgiveness seriously? Yeah, I think he does. We understand the need to forgive, but where does the motivation come from? Because if you're like me, there's times I just don't flat feel like it. You know what I'm saying? I know what I should do, but I really don't feel like it especially if the emotions are jacked up, right? And I'm all veins popping on my neck, and, right? How do you find the motivation then? I want to walk us through just a few thoughts uh, in regards to this, but one of the best motivations coming from, comes from understanding the consequences of unforgiveness. One motivation should be That if I don't forgive others, I'm not going to experience God's forgiveness. Not fully. You know that? I won't experience fellowship with God the way he wants me to. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, For if you forgive men their sins against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive yours. That's a scary thought, isn't it? That should wake us up. Another motivation comes when we understand that unforgiveness can lead to bitterness. You know anybody that's bitter? You know anybody that's just angry at the world? I do. I know a few people like that. And oftentimes, what's underneath it all is unforgiveness. They can't let go of something. The tape keeps playing over in their mind what somebody did and how they're going to get back at them or how they're not going to speak to them, right? They think they're keeping them in jail until they get what they want. It's not how it works, is it? We're the ones that get kept in jail when we don't forgive. They look like They look like they just walk around sucking on lemons all day. Chances are, someone has hurt them. They can't forgive it. Now they're going to hurt others. As Annette says, hurt people hurt people, right? You can't let it go. You're going to hurt somebody else. And somehow you think it's going to make you feel better. Robert E. Lee, after the Civil War was over, traveled throughout parts of the South um, while he was in Kentucky, this is in Charles Flood's book, The Last Years of Robert E. Lee. He meets a woman in Kentucky who takes him to her home and shows him a tree, huge old oak tree that was in her yard. That federal artillery fire hit, so the branches were gone, the trunks got holes in it. And she looks to Lee, wanting a word condemning the North, or at least sympathizing with her loss. And after a brief moment of silence, Robert E. Lee looks at her and says, cut it down, my dear madam, and forget it. It is better to forgive the injustices of the past than allow them to remain. Let bitterness take root and poison the rest of your life. Poison or cancer. That's what it becomes. How does unforgiveness become bitterness and poison? Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27, Paul writes, In your anger, do not sin. Anger is just an emotion. You know that? It is not wrong or sinful to be angry. Jesus got angry, right? It's what you do with anger. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Literally, slipping between the sheets at night, ticked off at somebody. That's what he's saying, don't do. Don't do. We do have, it's pretty much a hard and fast rule in our home. We're not going to go to bed angry. I don't care if it's a school night, my kids got to stay up till 2 a.m., We're not going to bed angry until there's forgiveness sought, forgiveness given, trust rebuilt, sometimes take more time. There's reconciliation. We're not going to do it. Because here's the equation anger or resentment plus time, when you keep letting the sun go down on it, plus time gives way to bitterness. And once a person is bitter, it usually ends in their being isolated because no one wants to be around a bitter person. You know it? No one wants to be around them. And then, the last part of that verse, and do not give the devil a foothold. What's the relation between the two? Because once you've gone down that road of being angry, not forgiving somebody over time, the devil can come in and destroy a relationship. We see it all the time, don't we? You've seen it. You maybe maybe you've experienced it. it happens on mission teams, it happens in churches. Right? Worst of all it happens in families. It happens in marriages. And the final blow is a d- divorce. Right? We see it all around us. We see it all around us. That's the equation. That's how it starts. Unforgiveness, anger over time, bitterness, isolation. Then we're ripe for Satan to just go, and it's over. Experiencing God's forgiveness, keeping relationships intact, that's some good motivations, isn't it? How do you actually do it? How do you actually do it? The first step is this. We we have to remember how much we've been forgiven. Without that piece of context, it is so much harder to forgive. But when we understand the depth of our own forgiveness in Christ, there is no limit to what we can extend to others. We We can forgive into eternity. You know what? There's no limit when we understand how much we've been forgiven. That's step one. Step two, in a book called The Five Languages of Apology, Gary Chapman, and Jennifer Thomas, writes writes this. Five, five languages. Five quick words. What are they? Regret, responsibility, restitution, repent, request forgiveness. Re- regret says, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's the words of regret. I am sorry. And it's heartfelt. Okay? Responsibility says, I was wrong. What I did was wrong. Restitution, what can I do to make it right? Repent, which says, I'm going to try not to do it again. And finally, requesting forgiveness. And here's the words that are so critical. Will you please forgive me? Will you? Those words pack a punch still. You know? Unfortunately, the words, I love you, get uh, diluted, don't they? In our culture today, because we love everything. We love ice cream. I love those crispy grape donuts. Right? But the words, will you forgive me? Man, it's critical. It's important. Go to the person with those words. Remember how much you've been forgiven. And finally, step three, as Robert E. Lee said, cut it down, let it go, right? That's it. We have to let go of it at some point. I forgive you means I give up the right to ever bring this up again. I can't a week from now go, hey, remember what you, no, i let it go. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, I know you know it, that love, among other things, is does not keep a record of wrongs. It's not that God can't remember, or he has amnesia, or Alzheimer's, right? He chooses not to remember. That's the piece we've got to do. We've got to choose not to remember. If I, say, if I say, I forgive you, and I mean it, I've got to let it go. I don't get to bring it up again. Pull it out like a club in two weeks and hit you with it. No, it's done. It's over. Those are the steps. Forgiveness, freeing, healing. I think it's the most powerful relational force you'll ever experience. This kind of forgiveness, which the the key word in that parable that Jesus uses is mercy. Be merciful to one another. That kind of forgiveness and mercy was shown to me about just a couple of months before I, I gave my life to Christ. It was a necessary piece of the puzzle as the puzzle, as God was putting the pieces together for me and the picture became clear. This was a piece. And I was working at a car dealership in Anchorage, Alaska, as I said, uh, had sunk into habits of drinking and other things and uh i was a parts i worked at a car dealership and i was in their parts department as a delivery person so i drove all over anchorage either getting parts or delivering parts the one thing i had to have was a driver's license well i got a dui two months into my job so i went to my boss and said i'm not gonna i'm not gonna be able to keep this job much longer thank you for giving it to me um But I did what you said I couldn't do. And I got a DUI, and I will lose my license in about two weeks when my court date shows up. And I wanted to at least give him two weeks, give you two weeks to find my replacement. He said, looked at me for a minute and said, uh, well, Spencer, you've been a good worker. And I appreciate you telling me. I need somebody at the back counter of our parts department to give all of our mechanics their parts. Um, You know a good definition of mercy? Mercy is not getting what you really deserve. I should have been fired. He said, "There's, there's an opening at the back counter of this parts department. I'd like you to take that. He said it's a promotion and it comes with a pay raise. You know a good definition of grace? Getting something you don't deserve, right? Mercy is not getting what you really deserve wrath, punishment. I should have been fired. Grace is getting something you don't deserve. I didn't deserve a pay raise and a promotion. Are you kidding me? That's what I got. It was a huge lesson for me. I understood mercy and grace so much better after that. And a few months later, when I was allowed to apply that with God in the picture, I got it because somebody showed it to me. That's how he wants us to live with each other. Please ask yourself as you go home today, is there somebody I need to forgive? Then ask yourself, is there someone I need to ask forgiveness from? And if you're sitting here this morning and you're going, you know what? I've never experienced that kind of grace and mercy and forgiveness from God. Then I would invite you to pray with me this morning. Okay? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for grace and mercy. Forgiveness that is yours, that is complete. That you don't look on our sins anymore when we... Allow your son to take our place. And if there's someone here this morning that has never said yes to you, that has never received your forgiveness, I pray you would tune their hearts right now and together with me would say, Lord Jesus, I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Thank you for your forgiveness. Come into my life, make me the kind of person you want me to be. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you guys. Why don't y'all We'll sing this closing song yeah.